Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Almighty Podcast. This is Adam. And this is Mike Atkins from NerdsOnEarth.com. We both kind of hesitated at, right before saying our names, like for a split second we forgot who we were, and I, like, I got really yeah. nervous about it. Like maybe we've been replaced or something. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, am I Mike? <laughs> am I Mike Atkins from Nerds on Earth? I'm not so sure anymore. <laughs> Well, Mike, we got some great episodes this week, man. Well, at least we, we got one. We have one great episode. Do we though? Yeah, we I mean, don't we have, have, have one. We almost. I've listened to a lot of our podcasts li- recently, and like we always start off almost identically with, you know, hey, this is Adam and Mike, and you know, we've got some two great episodes this week. I think this was the first time we sat down and both of us were like, "Do we though?" <laughs> no, we really don't. We we actually debated like restructuring entirely how we're going to finish out season three, our our coverage of season three, anyway. And we're, we're sticking to two episodes this week, and next episode that airs after this one will cover the last three episodes of Season 3. But we're also going to be honest with you up front that this episode is probably going to be shorter than most others, because 57 is great, and it's on book, and then there's this weird special episode, 58, that isn't really worth talking about all that much, besides yeah. to just like pile on you know, uh, vitriol onto it, which we're going to do <laughs> for at least a couple minutes. We got a vent for a few seconds. We watched, you know, 30 minutes worth of our lives on that episode. I think everybody can complain with us for a couple minutes, right? Yeah, yeah, because presumably you guys have watched it as well if you're listening to this. And so, number one, we're, we're sorry. Um, we, we can't give you that time back. So, in, in exchange, we are going to just kind of give it, give it a once-over very quickly, and hopefully you will commiserate with us for those few minutes and, and get a little bit of, of enjoyment out of that. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's go ahead and talk about episode 57. Uh, You know, this is kind of following up right after the first portion of the license exam is finished. Uh, We there at the moment, all of the students are standing around in the anteroom and they're kind of being told like, all right, you know, we've got 100 people that have passed the test. Uh, We're going to go ahead and send you guys out to rescue bystanders. This is going to be portion two. And and this is when uh, we kind of reiterate what happened last week where all of the buildings start to explode. Uh, and you're totally right. After I watched this episode, it totally looked like they had those things planted and they could have gone off at any second. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Those children so, were in danger. I mean, they're kind of always in danger a little bit, but because that's just the nature of, of this anime. True. This, this was excessive. This felt excessive. That's fair. I did get a kick out of the opening here. There's a second where uh, Haga Curry has to explain what a bystander is to like Kaminari and uh, Mineta, I to think. Mineta, yeah. Yeah, it was like, how this is, uh, that's a pretty common word. I'm surprised that they had never heard of that before. You know what I mean? In the manga, Mineta mishears it as pie stampers. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. So he's very confused. Like he just misheard the word. Uh, yeah, anyway, that, so Momo actually clarifies, she's like, or yeah, I guess it is Hagakuri, she's like, we, we went over this in class, and Mineta actually scores well in class, so I was kind of surprised that he uh, was the one that didn't understand that, I felt like that might have been a mischaracterization accidentally. Yeah, that's kind of how I felt too, like he's the number one written student, isn't he? Uh, I don't, I don't remember, he was, he, he wasn't as stupid as we thought he was going to be, no, I do remember that not. much. But at least in the manga, it sounds like they explained it with a mishearing. In the show, it was just like, well, I've never heard of Bystander. Right, right. Which I thought was kind of like mischaracterization for sure. But regardless, uh, we move on. Uh, they have got a bunch of folks that are going to be out in the field actually pretending to be hurt people. Uh, and they've named them Huck, which is Help Us Rescue Company. I thought that was kind of clever. Like, I like the acronym. Professional people need a rescue. And I, I just have in my notes, can I have that job? Like, all I have to yeah. do is pretend to be a 
not a damsel in distress, whatever the male equivalent of a damsel in distress is. I can do that. Just rub some fake blood on me and subtract points when people don't ask me how I feel when they show up on the scene. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like an easy enough job, right? Uh, yeah. But these guys are like professionals. I mean, they have folks out there that I guess have been faking injuries for years. Apparently, and they're really good at it. In fact, I have a note later on in this particular episode where they they transition very quickly into and out of that injured and distressed character very comically. Um, they in, do. In it's several great. places. Yeah, so like they are excellent actors for being able to snap in and out of character like that. Well, and, and I guess whenever they first introduce Huck is also when Mira, who has been the predominant judge throughout this, or at least the face of the judges, he's explaining uh, for the first time that these kids are going to be based on a points basis. So, you know, they don't really say at this point exactly how, but uh, basically it's like you got some points and we're going to judge you, or the, the Huck members are going to be the ones judging you. Uh, so it's interesting because I think Ida Midoriya are talking in the anteroom and they're like, wow, this really reminds us of the Camino Award. Uh, mm-hmm. And they were kind of wondering if maybe it was modeled after that, actually. Yeah, I have that in my notes as well. And uh, we actually had a uh, one of the Trivia Tuesdays on Twitter recently where we compared uh, the Camino Award to Camino in Star Wars, where both of them had some various genetic experiments taking place in there. Which uh, in I don't think spaces. I even picked up at all whenever we talked about it a couple episodes ago. I definitely didn't either. But you know, the people who engage with us on Twitter and in the Discord are quick to point some of these things out. So yeah. it's pretty it great. Pretty cool. I like that pretty discussion cool. and we get to learn stuff. Yeah, it was awesome. Not that we know everything about the show, because if you're listening at all, you know better. I mean, I still think Nezu is the primary villain, so... Right. <laughs> um, we get a kind of a, a little comedic bit here because Saro and Mineta approach in, in, in Kaminari, the, the like three pervy stooges. Um, They're all <laughs> excited about something. Saro is trying to tell Mineta and Kaminari that, uh, that Midoriya had seen that Cami chick completely naked during the first test. And so they like swarm over to Midoriya and they're furious with him. And Cami sees them in waves and Mineta interprets this as proof positive that Midoriya and Cami have done things. Like, I don't oh, remember yeah. exactly how he <laughs> refers to it, but he's just like, that's that's a sign, that's a signal for you guys have, have done such and such. And it was really funny. Yeah, he wanted to know about the devious things he was doing with the hottie. And then there's a moment where they all three of them say the same thing. They go, well, just how plus ultra did you end up going with yeah. me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> it's great, man. Yeah, it's, it is funny. Uh, and then right after this, the Shiketsu High, uh, we've been calling him Cousin It, I think. Uh, but his name is actually like Namagasa, I think. Nagamasa. Nagamasa. I was close that time, man. You were I close. Get, like, I'll give you gold credit. star for trying. Give, yeah. Listen, for you, that's that's full credit. Awesome. Sweet. Uh, so he ends up walking up with some of the other Shiketsu High students, and he's actually apologizing to them for their meatball hero classmate. Uh, he was like, you know, he may have offended some of you guys, and he definitely does not represent us. Uh, we're trying to build a good relationship between you guys. Please ignore him. And I, I thought that was kind of funny, you know, like having to go up and apologize for your your fellow you know classmate there. I really liked this scene in in part because respect and honor are such high values culturally in Japan um, that, you know, this, this scene with Nagamasa makes sense in the context of the culture. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I also appreciate it just because there is that all of these schools aren't just rivalries where it's like, it's one school 
it, it's every school for themselves. Like these guys are starting to grow an awareness that they're going to be interfacing, interacting positively. They're going to have to in the field if they get these licenses and move on to the next step of heroism. They can't continue to hold these grudges where it's just like you're you're from UA, and we're from Shiketsu, so we you know, and it's almost like this weird like collegiate school rivalries. You know, those things can't persist if they're going to be effective in the field. Yeah, and it was kind of a nice reminder, too, that that animosity doesn't exist all the time by everybody because up until this point, really all we've seen has been the three or handful of students that have been super, you know, not evil, but just kind of like kind of jerks to everybody at UA. You know, we've got Cami, who has been not super great to Midoriya, and then we've got, uh, oh, what's his name? I'm going to keep calling him the meatball hero. Yeah, that's fair. I cannot remember his name. Yeah, and then Yaroshi himself. Like, they haven't been super cordial or anything. They've not been easy to work with or even pleasant to work with or talk to. So it's kind of nice seeing someone from Shiketsu maintain that honor that they talk about. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that they have a hierarchy like... Um, like you like, like with a class rep, yeah. But yeah. I would, I, if they did, I would be shocked if he wasn't the class rep equivalent of Shiketsu High because he seems to be playing that role really well and taking yeah. a leadership position. That's a really good point. Yeah, I think you're probably right. He would be their their class rep for sure. After this, we get uh, an encounter between uh, Yaurashi and Todoroki. Yeah, this was a good one too because it was unexpected. I didn't, I didn't expect Todoroki to just call Yaroshi out like that. Yeah, I mean he's curious because he's he's been getting this wicked shade from Yaroshi, and even when he walks up to him here in this, he's just like, "Did I do something to offend you?" Like he's genuinely curious as to why this guy is is throwing him so much shade. Um, and Yaroshi just looks at him and he's like. You're the you're the son of Endeavor, and I hate you guys. Like lumps Todoroki right in with his dad. Yeah, and yeah. He says in the English version, he's like, "I can't help but to hate him and you for the way that you are." I'm like, wow, okay. <laughs> yeah, and he says he says I hate all of you, and you've changed a lot since then. But your eyes are the same as his, and so there's something going on. Something obviously Endeavor has done something to this. To, to this guy at some point along the line that has just burned every bridge that could possibly exist between the two of them to the point where like even a relative of Endeavor is is garbage because of yeah. what his dad did. And this is going to be frustrating, I'd imagine, for Todoroki too, who's constantly trying to distance himself from his dad. And I don't know if he's going to empathize with this and be like, yeah, that guy's a jerk, or or be... Like, well, what what do I have to do with him? I think both of those things could, you know, could be like a tension inside of Todoroki as he's hearing all this stuff. Oh, yeah, I can only imagine. Like, it seems like he he probably ended up in one of those worlds where he's been trying so hard to be, you know, anything but like his dad. Find out that someone hates him for basically the same reasons he hates his dad. Like, right. I can't even imagine, you know. Just for looking like his dad. That's not something that. Todoroki can easily escape. You know, Todoroki yeah. can make personality changes and and operate differently than his dad. And I think that he's certainly working in that direction. But he may always look or resemble his, like his father. And that's not something that he can just walk away from or or change very easily. And that's that's got to be, you know, a pressure point for him. And if it wasn't before, it certainly is now because it, I mean, it, Yarashi wants nothing to do with him just because he looks like his dad. Even though he says, like I, like I said, you've changed a bit since then. However, you right. look like him, and that's, that's enough. Yep. 
That's pretty crazy. We're going to see some awesome fallout there, I'm sure. Uh, we get another quick scene here with uh, Achako just kind of following up with her, and she's having some serious reserves about her feelings towards Midoriya. Uh, and I think that she's kind of... It's kind of a weird timing for her to to question them, but she's getting all these weird flashbacks between her and Toga and uh, the three of the... Of the I think it was uh, Momo and Sue and uh, Hagakuri or maybe Ashido that was talking to her about having a crush on Deku. And, mm-hmm. you know, she's, she's just kind of sitting there thinking about it, like, why is this holding me up so much, you know? Yeah, so. I just have in my notes that she's all up in her feels about this Kami Midoriya stuff because she's overhearing all of the boys talking about Midoriya seeing this lady naked. That's true. Yeah, that's right. I had forgotten she was standing right there. So she's talking, you know, she's standing there listening to everything they're saying. Yeah. Did you notice that Kirishima is eating, like, this entire time? Yeah, I noticed that he was popping. Uh, they look like rice balls. Yeah, the thing that the only reason why I want to make note of it is because I was like, why isn't Momo eating this whole time? She doesn't eat anything in these scenes, and that's like oh, her that's thing. True. She needs to be. She needs to be nomming some things down, like <laughs> so her and Shadow. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But all we see is Kirishima the pound and stuff. I'm like, Momo, you got, you got to, you got to get some calories in you, girl. <laughs> I hadn't thought of that. We didn't even really see Sato in action much during this entire examination. No, we see him moving some stuff around in the upcoming scenes um, yeah. because they they get ready to they the the building that they're in kind of unfolds just like um, like a jack in the box or something. Yeah, right? just like the first little room that they found themselves in. I think they even call the city like city name here or insert city name here. I don't remember, but I have a note that um, I think that they called it something very vague and general. Um, and That's then funny. they're all I, kind of free to go out and get to the rescuing, I suppose. I think even one of the kids, at least in the, the uh, dub version is like, what is it with these buildings? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so they, they're able to kind of go out and do whatever it is that they want to do. Kirishina and, Kirishima and Kaminari are following Bakugo, um, who, of course, just loves that, always. Yeah. He's like, um, why are you following me? Yeah, he's... Because well, yeah, we I want mean, to. <laughs> he's, yeah, he calls them extras, probably, again. I, I didn't have a note yeah. on that, but I would be shocked if he didn't, to be honestly. Um, but Midori hears a young boy crying, um, and so he runs over to the area where that sound is coming from, and it's a young kid, and he says his grandpa has been crushed in the rubble behind him. And Midoriya is like, where, where is he? And then all of a sudden this kid just snaps out of character. He's one of these actors and he just starts docking points from Midoriya right then immediately. And Midoriya doesn't know how to handle this. Oh, that's funny. Cause in the dub version, he actually says, uh, he walks up and he's like, oh my, you know, my grandfather got crushed by this rubble. And Midoriya just goes, oh man, this is this bad. Looks bad. Yeah. He says yeah. that too. <laughs> but it's funny. He's like, he doesn't ask about the kid, I guess, because he can see him. Because in the manga, he says this too. He says, this looks bad. Where is he? Where's your grandpa? <laughs> yo, and the wow, kid's just yeah. like, yo, like, what the heck? That's points off, man. <laughs> I did like you. You mentioned earlier about the way that these actors transition back and forth. I thought this was like comedy gold. I love the way that they were. They wrote these characters, the way that they acted them out. It was great. I also like the idea that, I mean, for these Huck characters to be able to dock points, they have to know first aid they have to know you know bedside manner i mean like all the stuff that they have to know i mean it makes their job feel a lot more than just play acting oh yeah i assumed that these folks were probably some level of like first responders like experienced first responders you know what i mean that one makes some sense to me so this guy just starts docking points he's like you gotta check on me first and didn't you notice i'm i'm breathing irregularly and i'm bleeding profusely from my head and 
people, a hero with a license would have assessed my condition before they started worrying about who was where and all this stuff. And, and Midori is just like, uh, he's just frozen in shock. He doesn't know how to respond to this quite yet. He'll get around, he'll come around in a second, but. Definitely. Uh, he actually, I think, even brings up to him, uh, you know, the whole thing that uh, Nana Shimura was saying a couple episodes back, like, anybody needing rescuing is having the worst day of their lives. And, and he says, the first thing you say is, this looks bad? Seriously, dude? Yeah. I thought that was funny. Like, he's hardcore laying into him. Oh, yeah. Midori gets it pretty pretty hard here. But uh, we kind of are traveling around a little bit in this episode between all of the, I mean, 100 students passed the first exam. So they're all scattered over this giant play area. And some of them are setting up, like, a safety zone, like a first aid triage station. Um, and this is where we catch up with Cousin It, Nagamasamura, um, who's getting in on the hero action himself. And pretty oh, cool. yeah. it looks pretty cool, too. I was surprised. It, it does. It looks really cool. Like, he's trying to, you know, clear a space for helicopter landing stations, and his hair flares out and, like, completely levels a bunch of rocks. I thought it was pretty neat looking. I have in my notes that he's the best genist only with hair. Oh, I like that. That's the cool. Best genist just uses the threads on his clothes. This guy's hair is just that level of manipulation, I guess. And he can make it grow, too, so that might give him a little bit more of an edge. He has... I don't know that it would be an infinite resource surely that has a limit just like all other quirks so he can't just grow his hair indefinitely and um it probably starts to bleed like Mineta's uh balls i don't know how yeah. else to say that yeah <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's his head that bleeds not his balls because bleeding balls would right. be a whole other thing <laughs> right, they make right. powders for that Mineta, just if you're <laughs> listening um but yeah he he his hair's apparently really um like dense or it seemed that way. Yeah. I mean, he, Cause he's just knocking rocks around like nothing. So it's pretty impressive. Uh, I certainly did not see his quirk being that effective at do Like he was like, I'll clear a spot. And I'm like, with what, you know, <laughs> what are you going to do? Yeah, no, I thought the same thing. Like whenever he did that, I was like, all right, then that's a lot more than I expected for sure. So I wonder if, uh, I mean, it seems like Todoroki could take this guy down in like three seconds with some flame, though. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? Like all that hair would just curl up and it would smell awful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It would be, that would be gross. That is not a matchup that I care to see. I'll, no, I'll say it that way. So we end up getting to see another scene here with uh, Yao Roshi where he's using what, yeah, I think his quirk is called Gale Force. Either that or that's his hero name. Gale Force popped up on the screen here for me. Uh, and he's rescuing an old man and this baby from some rubble. So he's using his wind to create like a tornado, lifting them off the ground while separating the rocks. And the the Huck heroes here, or the Huck professionals, are actually talking to themselves internally like, wow, you know, he's got pretty good control over his quirk, and this is kind of a good idea, but it's still, there's a lot of risk here of us accidentally getting hurt. So they end up docking him some points for that. Yeah, which I thought was an interesting balance because he was doing what they asked him to and he was doing it well but their th their their citation or their the thing that they noticed was that if they had actually been injured being whipped around in the air probably isn't the best thing yeah um so yeah yarashi gets thumped for this just for being sloppy even though he does get some kudos um from i think they call it just him being reckless yeah and i think it's right before this that we find out that this isn't just going to be a rescue organization or uh, operation because like the gang orca and a bunch of henchmen looking guys are, if we haven't seen them yet, then maybe the announcer was like, we're, we're going to get ready to send these guys in and make it a villains on the scene kind of thing. I think that yeah. happens right before the Yaurashi stuff. 
It does. Yep, it sure does. Uh, and then right after the Aroshi stuff is when we notice Cammy runs off again, and I think it's uh, uh, Nagamasora. Wow, I totally butchered that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. What, I don't even know who you're trying to refer to now. Are you I talking can... about the Nagamasamora guy? Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna the cousin it over. Yep. Right after the Yaroshi scene, we actually see uh, Kami running off again, and the other Shiketsu High students notice it. Like they even make a notice of like, "Wow, Kami's running off again." Uh, so she's off on her own, I guess, doing whatever. And uh, we kind of get another quick scene with Shoji recommending that everybody splits up into some smaller groups and to try to help out, you know, spread out the rescuing because at the moment they're all grouped up in their own traditional groups that you see. Uh, throughout the show, and they're focusing on, like, one or two areas. So they're trying to get that spread across, and Ida is actually like, well, hey, why don't we just start working with the other schools, too? And we get a quick montage of some of the school students working together. There was a funny one with uh, Aoyama, like, bent over with his laser belly beam into yes. a cave, so that way they could see people, you know? One of my favorite things about this little montage that takes place, and it's not really a montage, I mean, it's just a bunch of small scenes, um, but it's it's we get to see some of the quirk training paid off. So like Ayoyama's just blasting his belly laser up like it's no big deal. Um, you also get to see Shoji, who is just literally like a tree of ears. Like he just has ears, like 20 or 30 of them sticking out all over his appendages, and it looks nuts. Um, and so we get to see some of these characters, the payoff of this quirk training that they received, them doing things in this little training exercise that they couldn't do during the festival or, you know, I thought that was really neat. Cool. It was a cool way of showing development and not being, not drawing too much attention to it. Yeah. I mean, we've definitely seen a lot of improvements since day one of these heroes. And it's been pretty cool. This is, I think it's during this time where Ochako is, is like overzealous and she sees somebody trapped and she's like getting ready to go and use her little gravity thing on him, but Momo just manifests like a little baton out of her side and just clotheslines her. Yeah. That, that made me laugh way harder than it probably should have. <laughs> um, and it was just because of the visual gag of Momo just projecting this giant, it looks like one of the, like the end of one of those like Q-tip looking things that the American gladiators used to use to whoop, oh, yeah. whoop each other off of the platforms. Like yeah. one of them just blasts out of her shoulder and just completely catches Ochako unaware. She just... It's not quite a clothesline. She catches it right in the gut. And it was padded, like, give Momo some credit here. But it was really funny. Um, it was. It was a good scene. And this was also a good scene for Momo, too, because she's she's showcasing her thought again. And this is, again, something that we've seen more and more of after the uh, training exercise with Todoroki and Aizawa. With that test. I think it was a test. Seeing Momo kind of take charge and be evaluative and dispense with some orders and instruction and, and she takes charge here just like she did in one of the other episodes that we recently covered with her little squad of you know shoji and sue and all that stuff yeah i mean she's able to recognize the whole reason that uh, chaco shouldn't try and save this guy or use her quirk is because the structure around him is very unstable so she's able to direct saro and i think it was also uh who's Sado. the other person Sado, that's right uh, so they were able. She was able to get the two of them to work together and and get the structure stabilized, so that way Ochako could get in and save this guy. So it was pretty good teamwork there. Yeah, and it took. I think they kind of get chastised a little bit by one some of the graders for just being a little inefficient somehow. Um, but hey, they were getting the job done, and they're new. You know, this is. We have to keep in mind that almost everybody on this, in the one hundred that are playing, taking this particular piece of the test, 
there's 21 of them that this is their first year. It's the 20 of Class 1A plus Yarashi. Everybody else is, has, has done more of this kind of work than them before. So, of course, they're going to be a little, a little sluggish, a little slow, a little inefficient, a little, um, you know, a little behind the curve. But, you know, they still are effective just to, you know, a slightly slower rate than everybody else, which is understandable. Definitely, definitely. Well, we move on to uh, the mountain zone, which had me cracking up because in this particular zone, uh, Bakugo is there with Kaminari and Kirishima, and he's standing on top of this ledge, and he just tells these two victims that are like standing in this little crater, they're like holding their arm, and they look a little beat up, and he's like, "Hey, shut up, go save yourself." Yeah, that's pretty right. <laughs> yeah, and at first they just start like Kaminari and Kirishima are like, "Dude, you can't talk to them like that. They're you know you got to rescue them," and. And they're like, oh, man, did he figure it out? We're just lower-level, you know, injured people, bystanders. Like, we don't really need that much help. And then Kirishima and Kaminari freak out because they're like, how did he get away with this again, you know? Oh, he, he got some points deducted, though. And Oh, yeah. That was a, a bold move on the behalf of the two Huck characters here because, I mean, they're they're playing with a... They're playing with a stick of dynamite with with Bakugo, and he For he sure. flashes a very angry face at them when they say that they deducted some points from his uh, from his sheet just for just for his tone of voice is what it was. But taking that yeah. tone with us is no good. And Bakugo, of course, is uh, not he's not pleased by this. He's definitely not well known for his tone. That's true. And I mean, if you're best genist, how how frustrated do you have to be sometimes with Bakugo? I mean, it invested all this time in trying to get him some better, quote unquote, like bedside manner where he's, you know, relating better and just being generally a little bit more charismatic and likable. And then he still is just pulling stunts like this where even the, the actors are able to see the utility of what he's saying. And there is utility in a lot of what Bakugo does and the way that he approaches things, but his his demeanor and the the way that he presents his opinions and and tells people what they should do or what he's going to do is so always so abrasive so poor best genius is like you know just throwing his hands up like well i tried you know what are you gonna do yeah i can't imagine having to sit there and watch that after all that work yeah that's a that's a good point i hadn't hadn't thought about that at all we do know that best genius is live maybe he's are they they're not broadcasting this test I don't think so. No, this test, I don't, I think they've learned their lesson on broadcasting what shows off all of their new students' powers. <laughs> okay, fair I enough. would hope so at this point. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it's literally been the contention of the last two seasons. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> I will say, I did get a, a kick out of this. I thought it was kind of an interesting note. All of the students have been able to figure out where they're going to be utilized the best at. Uh, and what I mean by that is, you know, they've got all these different zones in the stadium. And like Coda is immediately going to the animal area where he can, I say animal area, it's like the woodlands area where all the animals are so he can utilize his power. Uh, there's a quick scene with Sue in the swamplands. And then you've got like the majority of the fighters seem like they're still in the urban areas. But I just thought that was kind of neat. I'm like, all right, these these kids have gotten to a point where they know their powers well enough to know where they're needed and where they can be useful. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I like that. And this, is, this was going to have to happen eventually that some students are going to realize... That while the mentality around being a hero is you use your quirks offensively against bad guys who may also may or may not be quirked, but you use them offensively to uh, neutralize them. And in this scenario in particular, they start classifying themselves very differently. There are some students out of the 100 that are taking this test that 
aren't probably aren't going to engage in any kind of combat when the villains come out because they're going to be too busy doing the triage and the nursing station and you know whatever other things might be going on but there are going to be some who are better suited for that and figuring that out even in this larger setting with a hundred people um, is just good exercise for what what is my quirk best going to be uh, best going to accomplish in this situation is it rescue or is it you know, defense or offense. And that's a, that's a nice, it's, it's layered. It's not just like, well, let's just get everybody in the room to swarm gang order real fast when he, when he breaks in. Um, there's, there's nuance to who does what and why, and you get to see the students sort that stuff out themselves. Yeah, and I think he even mentions that. Like, we get this awesome ending moment here where Gangorka is walking through these. Uh, it's almost like a, the intro to like a football game or something, you know, where you're following the football players through the stadium uh, and they're going through the back hallways and then they like bust out onto the stadium. That was kind of what this yeah. was like. Like, yeah. just imagine that camera following this massive, terrifying orca through a hallway with its like all of its little pawn terrorists behind him. And he busts out onto the stadium and he talks about how like, all right, you're going to have to fight me off and continue saving people. So good luck. Can you do it? Uh, but I, one of the things I loved, in fact, I messaged Adkins the moment that I was watching this, uh, whenever they introduce him, Mira, who is the, the announcer and judge was like, Oh yeah, he's one of the most villainous looking guys. Uh, in fact, he's number three on the most villainous-looking hero list. And I'm like, we have got to find this list. <laughs> I don't think it exists because I, I did try no. looking. But here's what I think. I think Orca obviously is third. That's Kanan. Number one has got to be Ectoplasm, right? I would agree with that. He's pretty high up there. Okay, but who's number two? Who would you think might be number two? I have two potential options for who could be the most villain-looking good guys. I mean, I'm not going to lie, dude. You catch Endeavor on the wrong night, that guy looks pretty villainous. I agree. He's he's one of the two that I'm like, I could see him as number two. But you know who else I could see is All Might. I mean, you walk down a dark alley with that big smile on the <laughs> other side of it, and you better bet you're turning around and running. And those, like, super dark eyes when he's in that <laughs> yeah. form. Yeah, like, creepy. I mean, there's there's a pretty terrifying element to that guy. The only reason we're okay with him is because he's been labeled as a symbol of peace, but... You take his costume that's pretty bright and colorful and you make it dark and you tell people he's a symbol of evil, people are going to believe you. This is true. I thought the other one who might be number two is actually um, Red Riot, who is oh, the yeah. guy that, um, or Crimson Riot, rather, who's the, he's the hero that uh, uh, Kirishima, likes, Kirishima right? has modeled himself after. If you look at a yeah. picture of him, he is scary looking. I wouldn't be shocked yeah. to find out if he was number two and Endeavor was as low as number four. I was also thinking uh, the other hero that I was considering, like really considering, was uh, Edshot. He's kind of creepy looking. He does. He, I mean, all ninjas kind of have that very leery. That, mis that mysterious like, yeah. kind of feel to him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, he listen, Edshot could totally be smiling up underneath that cowl, that, that mask. Right. We just can't tell. He, maybe he just is one of those people that doesn't smile with his eyes. But we can definitely see that Endeavor never smiles. And if he does, then he's probably killing you and enjoying yeah. it a little too much. Right, yeah, like he's only smiling when he's burning you to a crisp. So. Right, right. But Gang Orca looks dope when he comes out here, and he does this <laughs> badass like toss of whatever his black capey looking stuff is. I don't know if it's oh, part yeah. of his body or what, but he throws it back behind him, and I was like, that that looks insanely awesome. Um, yeah, so his Gang breaking onto really the cool. scene is incredible looking, and this starts shaking up um, Aizawa. He's like sitting up in the sands, and he's like, they're... This is this is a lot even for pro heroes and they're they're going this far for a provisional license like he's shocked that they're throwing so much at the students. 
Yeah, he did seem pretty shocked. And that pretty much ends it for uh, 57. Uh, they're transitioned right into 58 here. And um, no, you know, they... no, no, no. We do not transition right into episode 58. There is no well, transition between 57 to 58. You're not wrong, man. That's what so I was telling Adkins that a lot. I feel like a lot of the problems I have with 58 is that it's following 57 because gang work had just showed up on scene. Like you're pumped. You want to know what happens. And then they're like, oh, here's some filler. And I don't know. I, you have to wait a week. I mean, we're making you guys wait a week. We've got to wait for it. So I don't know. I'm frustrated. I want to know what's going to happen with Gang Orca here. Yeah. In fact, I think the first lines of All Midas in, in episode 58 is something like, you can't wait to find out what happens next, but why don't we forget about that for now? And I was like, screw you, All Might. <laughs> I was like, I wanted to watch <laughs> Gang Orca wreck face. Why are we? Why are you here? <laughs> yeah. I was so yeah, Like The first time I've never wanted All Might to be on the screen. And all this episode is like, and they're not even shy about it. It's not subtle. I mean, they're basically like, get ready for the movie Two Heroes. But the problem is the air date for episode 58 of My Hero, it came out on um, August 25th, 2018. And if Dr. Internet is steering me true, the movie premiered in Japan August 3rd of 2018. So this episode that's filler, that's meant to be like uh, a hype or, or, or like an advertisement for the movie, it came out three weeks after the movie. I so, just can't believe uh, that. That seems so... Is it possible that it was only in select theaters and the DVD didn't release until months later? Because then I could at least see that. I don't know. I mean, my best explanation is somebody got the idea, like, hey, we should promote this movie in the show. And it was just bad timing. Like... You know, because these things have production schedules, they take time to produce. So somebody had the idea too late, and then they produce this thing, and it just happens to fall at the worst time in the in the actual show's narrative progression. And so you get this like grinding halt to what was what was planning or what was looking for all the world to be some absolutely nuts action, and then they're just like, forget about it. That's what they say. Forget about it. <laughs> I mean, I was livid when I was watching this episode. I couldn't like any of it. The only redeeming thing about this entire episode is that All Might has a tone for when he receives an email, and it's him saying an email is here. Everything yeah. else about this episode <laughs> was just infuriating, and I didn't like it at all. I mean, not I, even a little bit. I knew that I didn't like it, but I didn't realize that uh, you liked it a whole lot less than I did. Like, I was like, ah, I, I didn't care for this episode, but you, like, hate this episode. Yep, it it was, uh, yeah, I just, I have nothing good to say about it. I mean, it's this weird mystery thing that you could go back in time, and they're doing this extra test with some of the heroes, some of the students, and and they seem like random students. Like, I don't even really know why it's these students, but it's like uh, it's Ida, Bakugo, Todoroki, Achako, Sue and Midoriya. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean, I really don't want to talk about this episode that much more because it's just yeah. making me sad and mad. That's um, fair. But yeah, it's just this weird murder mystery thing where there was a bank robbery and they were supposed to maybe foil it. But when they break in the. The villain who was being played by All Might looks like he stabbed himself. And then Deku somehow manages to deduce how what went down. And it is the most mind-boggling deductions ever. Like, I have no idea how he was, how he arrived at any of his conclusions. But Aizawa seemed to be like, oh, yeah, you totally got there. No problem. 
And he wasn't like, how in the hell did you figure any of this out? Because none of it is is easy to deduce based on what they saw. He was It was like he was pulling stuff out of his butt. Like, And I like the fact that you guys know that I like that Midoriya is a smart kid. In fact, episode one, I was like, if this is all he is, I could be happy. But this episode 58 turns his intelligence up to like insane, uh, just unreasonable levels. And I was just like... This is the this is a terrible Scooby Doo episode featuring my hero academia characters. Oh wow, I hadn't thought of it that way, but yeah, yeah, kind of. They were even wearing masks and stuff, you know. Yep, I uh, yeah, it, it's it's skippable, guys. And I wish I wish you were hearing this last week so we could have saved you. Uh, but we didn't know what we were getting into either <laughs> until until All Might tells us to just forget about Gang Orca being on the scene and it and it about to be dope. Just forget about it, and I was just, just like, for, "Man, just forget about it." That, that should be the title episode for uh, the for this uh, this episode. Uh, just forget about it. Yeah, jeez, it's <laughs> it's bad. It's bad. I mean, I, well, I got a new email ringtone. I'm pretty stoked for that. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Uh, who was it? Celis that hooked it up with the. Oh no, I think it was Coder Mike. I think it was, was Coder, it Coder Mike, Mike that sent that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't have tones for my emails because that would drive me nuts. I get emails all the time. Right. Well, I will tell you, I'm pretty excited about one thing. So I was really worried that I would come into this uh, recording and you would be like, dude, you totally missed it. Like, this was an awesome episode. And I would be the only one that hated it. But it sounds like overstounding, or it sounds like, for the most part, everyone didn't like it. So Because yeah. I think we even looked up online, like a bunch of people were unhappy with it. Yeah, but we've, it's even more frustrating because we've seen good My Hero filler. Right. And well, this and I was really feel bad. like if this was in between like story arcs, it really wouldn't have been that bad. But because of the way that it's framed, it felt so out of place. Yeah. You know? The timing definitely didn't help it, but the content no. just it just wasn't good. I mean, I, I really w- I wouldn't have liked it if it had fallen in between arcs, but I certainly like it a lot less because of when it fell. It just sure. was a poor choice. It was a bad choice. I mean, let's just call it what think- it is. Did Horikoshi have any input on this, do you think? Like, I don't know how that works with filler episodes. I don't know if networks are just like, well, we're having a hard time adapting the rest of this storyline or getting that work out, so here's a, like, we'll just put in some filler and we'll have a writing team put it together. Or if it's a matter of like, oh, well, I don't know how I want to adapt this piece for the next few episodes, so here's a filler episode instead. Like, I don't really know how filler episodes get decided. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. And I'm I'm looking at the page for episode fifty eight on the on the wiki, and I don't see like writing credits or anything like that. So I mean, it, all that it says it is it's anime original content. So. I don't know. We'd have to I would, listen. I don't want to devote any more research into this episode, so I'm not going <laughs> to dig that much deep in, or any deeper into it. Honestly, that's totally fine with me. I think that that will clear us up for next week. I want to go watch, uh, see what happens with Gang Orca. How's that sound? Yes, me too. I'm so excited. <laughs> I mean, awesome. I was this excited. I was this level of excited at the end of episode 57, and then All Might broke my heart and made me angry for a solid. I mean, I'm I'm be angry for a week at this point. So that that's fair. I, I, we'll, we'll see you guys next week when we're not angry and we've watched Gang Orca. <laughs> we will have calmed down and returned to having good things to say about My Hero Academia. So Yes. But thanks for tuning in this week. We appreciate it. We love you guys. See have you guys.
Almighty Podcast is a production of the Back Patio Network. If you enjoyed this podcast, please check out our others at backpationetwork.com. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes and check out our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash backpationetwork. And feel free to hit us up on Twitter at at backpationet or at almightypod. We'd love the chance to talk with you.